0: Everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the Pacific Northwest is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back.
1: Man, it is good to be back. It's good to have the old microphone in front of me. It's uh, It's been a really weird time, not just for me, but for everybody out there. Just this little piece of normalcy helps keep me sane.
0: Well, that's it's all relative, you being sane, but we, we won't we won't talk about that. Uh, let's talk about some baseball instead, because I think people need to talk about baseball as we're missing it. Boy,
1: um, ain't that the truth.
0: That being said, there is baseball being played somewhere in the world. Uh, a couple of weeks now, we're into the, the uh, CPBL season over in Taiwan. I know I've watched a couple of games. I've already got a favorite team. Have you have you picked a CPBL team to root for? I,
1: I haven't yet. I have to find a good reason. You know, uh, I mean, it could be something as simple as they showed The Godfather on opening day. Then I'm going to like that team. Stuff like that.
0: <laughs> so I have picked the Brothers team uh, for a couple of reasons in the CPBL. One, because uh, they broadcast. Uh, they're the first team I found that were were broadcasting games for free. <laughs> On Twitter, and they're also on Twitch. And uh, also, they have, uh, as their mascot, is an elephant. Oh, so my, myself being an A's fan, I'm like, oh, yeah. I already got stuff with elephants on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. this is true. I, I'm leaning, I'll admit, I got I still got to do my studying, but I'm leaning towards the monkeys. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rakuten? just because a team called, yeah, and Monkeys, a team called the Monkeys. That's just bizarre, and so that uh,
0: makes me happy. <laughs> They're the ones with the robot fans. I was watching one of their games today. There's not a whole lot of them, but they're there. It's weird, cause you know, Rakuten is a big online, that's kind of like an Amazon. You, I mean, they, they even sponsor the Golden State Warriors. They're like their f- big sponsor, but they also have a team in Japan, the Rakuten Golden Eagles. I believe it's the Golden oh, Eagles. Okay, Maybe okay. it's just the Eagles. But, so you're uh, saying you hey,
1: spend a little money on advertising and marketing?
0: Yeah, they're they're kind of. I don't know if they're as big as Alibaba in in Asia, but they're huge. They're a huge corporation. Gotcha. Yeah, but uh, I also found out that you know the uh, the brothers team they've got uh, song leaders on top of the dugouts who are doing all these cheers and stuff to nobody in the stands. But they're called the Passion Sisters. <laughs> which that I'm like, "Oh, that's another good reason, the Passion Sisters."
1: Yeah, you you can tune into the Passion Sisters while you're watching a ball game. You can't beat that. Yeah.
0: I I think I've got well, I know I've got my my Korean team picked out for the KBO. It's definitely the Kia Tigers because Matt Williams is their manager. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Aaron Brooks, who was uh on the A's last year for a while, he is on their he's on their squad too. And I actually texted to somebody one of the korean uh, league guys and i because i watched their games their their practice games and i said why did korean broadcast never show the managers i like the tigers because of matt williams and i don't even know if he's in the stadium and aaron brooks liked that tweet so <laughs> nice. shout, out to, shout out to aaron brooks there you go i got a couple of stats for you a couple of weird numbers we like to okay. do this we talked a little while ago. Maybe you know what? Actually, I think it might have been when you were off vacationing before the Great Plague about Antonio Alfonseca, the Octopus. Uh, his career ERA is four one one, otherwise known as four eleven. Yes. Uh, so you know, Antonio Alfonseca is called the Octopus because he has extra finger on each hand well his career era is almost exactly twice as high as mordecai three finger browns what? which is 2.06 <laughs> oh my so i don't know if era is contingent on the number of digits i can see people just Man. take them off doc i just need <laughs> i need like a an index finger and my thumb
1: I, I wish i had known sooner in life now there's no point shoulders <laughs> yeah. gone
0: Probably a little late for that. A uh, cou- couple more numbers here. Jay Buhner, one of our, we like Jay Buhner. Bone, is his nickname. Had three hundred, yeah, he had three hundred and ten career home runs. He homered uh, off the same number of different pitchers as Babe Ruth did
1: that is weird.
0: So, Bone had 310 career home runs. Babe Ruth had 714. They both homered off 216 different pitchers. Wow. That's that That's... I mean, that tells you how many pitchers there are in the game today yes. versus back in Babe Ruth's time. Uh, Barry Bonds has homered off of the most pitchers. So, those two guys each homered off 216. Just take a wild guess at how many pitchers Barry Bonds is homered off of four <laughs> well that's one of the numbers <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay that's what I was going for it's like a price is right thing
0: yeah it's a price you got two more numbers <laughs> to go he he homered off 449 pitchers oh my gosh wow that is twice as many as Babe Ruth wow that's, that's a lot of pitchers
1: where do you find these bizarro stats man
0: I live on the internet, man. This is all I do. Now, I, you know, I work, but I, I, I gotta take a break every hour. So I got, I scour the internet for these, for these numbers, a couple of more kind of oddities. So Jamie Moyer, we might've talked about him once or twice, ageless, the ageless wonder. So he played his final game in 2012, May 27th, 2012 to be exact. Bo Jackson played his final game on August 10th, 1994. So we are talking uh, 94 through 2012. So that's 18 years. Uh, Jamie Moyer is actually 12 days older than Bo Jackson, but he played his final game 18 years after Bo Jackson did.
1: (laughs) That's really weird.
0: All right. So we've established now that Jamie Moyer played his final game, May 27th, 2012. Lenny Dykstra played his final game May 18th, 1996. Well, Jamie Moyer is 84 days older than Lenny Dykstra. It just, it's crazy just how long Jamie Moyer played.
1: And he was good, like the whole time. Most
0: of the time. Yeah, it was yeah. at the end. But yeah, the guy was just he he still wanted to play. Even when the Phillies cut him, he still kept in shape. He was waiting for that call. That's awesome. Jamie Moyer. All right, so uh let's head into our uh into our debut segment. Again, we can do this because normally there would be baseball at this point of the the season and uh this episode is premiering on april 21st so i got a couple of uh a couple of debuts one really old one and a couple of more contemporary ones now on this day april 21st 1890 we've talked about this guy before he was a member of the 1899 cleveland spiders we did a whole episode on on this team, and it was very interesting. Do you remember when I mentioned Crazy Schmidt? I,
1: I can't say that I do. That was like a year or more ago, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure he came up knowing our our podcast.
0: Oh, I oh yeah, I've got I I went back and reviewed it because Crazy Schmidt sounds like something else. Uh, plus, his nickname is Crazy, which is awesome. Real name Frederick. Uh, He was known as crazy or also German Schmidt. Okay. He played for the Pirates. He played for Baltimore. He played for, and I don't know why I didn't write down what Baltimore, I don't think they were the Orioles at that point, but he played in Baltimore. Let's put it that way. Uh, The Giants and of course the Cleveland Spiders. I couldn't find the box score from today in 1890.
1: Uh, Yeah. I, I can't imagine
0: why. Uh, but the spiders lost eleven to four, not surprisingly, to the Louisville Colonels. Uh, crazy Schmidt that year went seven and thirty-six and bad, accumulated right? a five point four five ERA. <laughs>
1: Boy, I don't know if "Crazy" was the right nickname. I mean, you might have gone with "Crappy."
0: Yeah, and I I misspoke. That's his; those are his career numbers, not his uh, not his season.
1: Regardless, it's not exactly something you brag about.
0: You can see why the Cleveland Spiders were like, "Yeah, I think this guy will help us out." Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Also, today, nineteen ninety nine, Joe Nathan made his major league debut. Nathan Uh pitched. uh, He came up with the Giants. He pitched also for the Twins, the Rangers, the Tigers, the Cubs, and then finished up again in san francisco today he made his debut though he was a starter when he came up he went seven innings got the win gave up only four hits no runs struck out three walked four and uh, first batter he faced was luis Castillo, who he struck out nice. uh, during, during his time as a closer which was a an entire decade, 2004 through 2014, he saved 375 games, which was the most by any pitcher during that time frame. And we're getting into Mariano Rivera, like prime prime time during, yeah. you know, 2004 through 2014. Uh, Mariano Rivera in that same stretch saved 369 saves versus Nathan's 375. So, uh, you know, saves are, it's, it's an, you know, it's a stat that used to get a whole lot of love. Now it's not as I guess, revered, but uh, pretty impressive numbers. He never led the league in saves Um, that 376 career, you know, career saves all, but one of them came in the American league. (laughs) Oh, wow. And that happens to be the highest total of saves in the American League for a career, behind only Hall of Famer Mariano right. Rivera with 652.
1: Yeah, you know what? He was just a very consistent and consistently good pitcher.
0: Yeah, he and for an, for a decade. Yeah, for, for a decade straight, he That's ended impressive. up with a 63 and 34 record, 377 saves, a 2.87 ERA, and a 151 ERA plus. Not bad, Joe Nathan. Yeah. Uh, our last debut uh, today that we want to highlight uh, t- in 2005, Sin Chu Chu made his debut with your Seattle Mariners. <laughs> yes, my Seattle Mariners. That's right. He uh, also played for the Indians and is still a member of the Texas Rangers. On this day in 2005, he pinch hit for one of, I know one of your favorite players, Miguel Olivo. <laughs> the skillet. Skillet. (laughs) Uh, He faced uh, the A's closer at the time, Octavio Dotel, and he flew out to center field. Uh, In uh, December of 2012, he was part of a three-team trade with the Indians who uh, sent Jason McDonald and Cash to the Cincinnati Reds. The Arizona Diamondbacks sent Matt Albers, Trevor Bauer, and Brian Shaw to the Indians. And then the Reds also sent Dee Gregorius to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, they also, Then the Red. this is a big trade. There's a Hello. lot of, a lot of working parts here. The Cincinnati tri- uh, Reds also sent Drew Stubbs to the Indians, and the Indians sent Lars Anderson and Tony Sipp to the Diamondbacks. So I mainly mention that because of the two big names there, Trevor Bauer and Dee Gregorius, who are obviously still in the big leagues and her big names. Tony Sip, uh, I'm not sure if he's still around. I think he was part of the, the, the Astros quote unquote championship. Uh, I know he was on that team. I'm not sure where he is now, but some big names involved with uh, Sin Choo Choo's transactional record. Uh, you will like this as well, uh, a close friend of Dae Ho Lee.
1: Hey, that's awesome.
0: They went hey. to elementary school together. No way, elementary
1: school?
0: Yeah, and I believe Deho Lee is on the Kia Tigers, Matt Williams' team, which is another reason to root for that.
1: Jeez, no kidding, man. I I didn't know
0: that the legend was there. I think he is. I've I've watched quite a few Intersquad KBO games, and I know I saw him, and I want to say he's there, but I I could be wrong there, so don't (laughs) quote me. Okay. Recently, a couple weeks ago, Chu made news because he donated $1,000 to Every one of the 190 players in the Texas Rangers minor league system who were unable to work due to the, you know, MLB season being shut down currently. And minor leaguers do not get paid if they are not playing. But he donated $1,000 to 190 different players. So he was granted special permission to skip mandated military service in South Korea as he was representing Korea in a positive manner there have been other Korean players who have had to stop their careers and go serve two years in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, just th- there are exceptions. Like if, if you are an athlete and you win a major championship while representing the country, you can forego your service. But he was, uh, because he's, you know, he's a pretty big name in baseball. He's a good, gr- he's a good player. They, uh, they said, you know, you don't need to come back. Keep, keep representing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Makes sense. He's appeared on several Korean TV variety and reality shows. Oh, oh my. OK. I, I, I tried to look some of them up. I had limited time, but I, it said variety shows. So I would really love to see him sing and or dance. Yeah. But, uh, he apparently was going to be written into a soap opera as a reoccurring character. But the schedules just didn't match up. How unfortunate. Yeah. He uh, also once used Gangnam Style as his walk-up, <laughs> oh, man. and now he uses BTS. So he keeps keeps the the Korean tunes, the K-pop going. So there you good go. for him. So those those are our, our debuts for today, April twenty first. Crazy Schmidt, Joe Nathan, and Sin Shu Chu.
1: That's what they all, all right. have in common, man. If you were to ask me,
0: I would yeah, say. I, I bet it. you, I bet you. There's probably no one alive. If I would have asked what those three <laughs> players have in common before this segment, would have been able to come up with that. Only me. Uh, all right. So trivia question. I asked you one last week. Yes. The question was: Who is the only man to play for both teams in the Los Angeles area, meaning the Dodgers and the Angels, as well as both teams in the Bay Area, meaning the Giants and the A's? I gave you a hint. That he was once involved in a trade for Ricky Henderson, involving Ricky Henderson. Let me put it that way. Did you? Yeah. Uh, were you able to come up with an answer?
1: Uh, not without cheating, and I decided I wasn't going to look it up. So I racked my brain, and I came up blank.
0: Now I think you might. I think maybe this is a guy that you might have had some time with in Tacoma. Okay, Mr. Stan Javier.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Also played for the Mariners. So, yep, yeah. You know, I should have known that. You're yeah, right. he,
0: he, was, uh, he was sent to the Yankees for Ricky Henderson in 1989. So, gotcha, yeah. Huh. There you go. So I got another question for you here. Of course. This week's question, who was the first player to hit a grand slam in both games of a doubleheader?
1: Wow, the first first player to do so yeah um
0: arky vaughn (laughs) well again as i as i always say that is an answer (laughs) but i will i will have to tell you next week whether you are correct or not but uh there you go so think about that And while you think about that, let us now jump into the main part of our show. We'll wrap up BP. Let the grounds crew come out and do their stuff. So we're continuing our run of guests who have been named minor league announcer of the year. Last week, it was the current recipient, Jesse Goldberg-Strossler. This week, we have a past winner. I'm not going to tell you what year it was. But uh, since then, he has gone on to become a 26-year veteran of calling games in the major leagues with the Astros, the Rangers, and the past 14 seasons with my hometown, Oakland A's. Uh, we are very happy to welcome Mr. Vince Contronio. Vince, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hey, I appreciate the invitation. You'll be happy to know that the dinosaurs roamed the earth when I won that award. That's how long ago it was.
0: <laughs> and listen, it, it still looks new in the, in that trophy cabinet, I guarantee you. Uh, so our first question with, with every guest is, you know, we're a baseball history podcast. So we'd like to know what is your, you know, what's your history with the game, the first game you went to your favorite team growing up, favorite player.
2: Well, uh, I was born in Brooklyn and, uh, at a very early age, even before first as first grade started, we, my father was transferred. He was a civilian working for the Navy, uh, on budgets. He was a budget analyst. We moved to Orlando, Florida, so that's really where I grew up, and that's where uh, baseball began for me. I mean, because I was from New York, even though I was raised in Florida, it was still very much a northern household. Both my parents are Italian. My dad was first generation. My dad or my mom was second generation, but I was was a Yankee fan as a kid. Uh, Thurman Munson was my favorite player. I wore number 15. I was a catcher. Uh, as far as I could take it, which wasn't very far at all. I didn't even play high school. I played one year uh, American Legion ball when I was a senior actually in high school or junior. I think it was senior junior, one of those two. And my only claim to fame was uh played against Tim Raines, who was from nearby Sanford, Florida. And Tim was kind enough to at least slide when he stole second base on me, as opposed to just <laughs> going and standing up, which he could have done rather easily. It was either 74 or 75. I forget which year it was, but we went we watched the Yankees play the Royals at Shea Stadium because Yankee Stadium was being renovated at the time. So that was my that was my first memory. I think Roy White actually had a home run in that game where it was four for four in the game that I went to. And that was my first actual in-person memory of a major league game. And growing up, you know, especially doing what I do, a lot of people have asked over the years, well, who did you listen to? You know, I didn't have Jack Buck in St. Louis or Harry Carrion. St. Louis or Chicago or Vince Scully in L.A. Or, or Bob Murphy in New York with the Mets or, you know, any of the, any of the great voices of uh, years gone by Ernie Harwell with the Tigers. Growing up in Orlando, we, we didn't have anybody. We had the, uh, had the Braves games on television on Sundays. I remember we would go to the beach sometimes and then we'd come home and turn on uh, Channel 44, which was a station out of St. Petersburg in Tampa. And they would show some some Braves games back in the Buzz Capra, Biff Pocoroba, Bruce Benedict days, and uh, you know I remember those games, and uh, that's the, those are my first memories of, of baseball. And then you know making that that decision that uh, this was something I really wanted to pursue. And as much as I love baseball, that was a sport I really wanted to concentrate on. Even though I have done college and professional football with the USFL, and I've done you know some college basketball as well, but baseball was always going to be. My hopeful path, and I was fortunate to, to realize a lot of those
0: dreams. So, you started uh, in the big leagues with the Houston Astros. And uh, of course, at that point, it, well, not of course, but in 1991, that was in the Astrodome. Uh, coincidentally, today, the day that we're recording, this is the first anniversary of the first game ever played in the Astrodome in 1965, with real grass, even. Uh, some of it spray painted, but neither Mark nor I have been to the Astrodome. Uh, what uh, can, What's your best memory of baseball under the Houston Astrodome?
2: Well, you know, it was, it was a tremendous structure to begin with. And, it, you know, back in a time where there were so many other multi-purpose facilities that multiple professional teams used. And I remember, you know, my first year, 91, you got Ken Kamenetti diving all over the place. You know, it's at third base, making those great plays and that was back when you know the majority of teams that had artificial surfaces only had the cutout, just you know home plate first, second, third, and the pitcher's mound. They're not like some like Tampa Bay now, for instance, has has uh, the full infield grass, and so does so does Toronto. Now. You know until until uh, Arizona Arizona now has gone uh, to the artificial strain of grass, and they've got dirt infields as well they didn't know it just was a you know it was a ginormous facility and you know when I got there the reason one of the reasons I was able to get the job was they were part of a they were rebuilding they had just traded Davis their slugging first baseman to the uh, Baltimore Orioles for some guys named Pete Harnish and Finley and some Knucklehead pitcher named Kurt Schilling. And you know, they, they said, Well, you're in our minor league system. I was working at AAA Tucson, which was their highest affiliate in the Pacific Coast League in 89 and 90. And they said, Well, you you know all these guys, so we're making some changes with our broadcast team. We want to add you, you know, to our to our our announcing team. The Fact was, I never saw Craig Biggio play in in Tucson because he played like one half of a year in '88 and never came back. That was the famous trading Alan Ashby to the Pirates and he didn't want to go and then take him off the bus. And, you know, <laughs> Bidge was the catcher at the time, eventually, you know, moved to center field on the second base. You know, that spring training of 91, a kid named Jeff Bagwell uh, with a straight face told Art "Yeah, I've played first base before. And so uh, went on the backfields and worked with a coach by the name of Bob Robertson, who played in the big leagues with the Pirates for years and learned the position, became a all-star and a gold glover and now a Hall of Famer. I'd never seen him play before. I never saw Luis Gonzalez play. He had jumped from double A to the big leagues. and He was making his debut with the, with the Astros in 91 against the Reds in Cincinnati. And, and the, the list went on and on. I didn't really know any of the guys. But they, they saw me as a, as a young guy with a young group of players. And I was able to grow quite a bit with them for, the, for those uh, years that I was there through 97.
1: Yeah, hey Vince. Uh, I was curious. I uh, was doing a little research on you, and I saw you graduated from University of Central Florida in '83, and uh, you were working for the Mets organization in '84. How did you How did you land your first job in baseball?
2: Well, you know, both my parents are gone. Uh, my dad and my mom both have passed away, but they thought I graduated in 1981. So that's my secret. But I did graduate in '83 because I didn't. I didn't uh, have a good enough GPA, I was, I was the sports director of the radio station, I was the sports editor of the campus newspaper and I was the assistant sports information director in the athletic department and eventually became the SID, but my GPA was good enough to graduate me, so I literally took beginning golf to graduate and got my GPA up to where I, I got that piece of paper and worked for the university you know, at a time when you know, UCF was a very small school. It was Florida State and Florida and Miami, and that was it in the Sunshine State. And now that school has you know, grown exponentially to where it's one of the highest attended uh, schools in the nation. Top five has been for several years. But what happened was uh, I had a little bit of a beef in, in December of 1983 or November of 83 with the basketball coach at the time. His name was Chuck Mayshock. He came from Ohio State where, you know, you come from Ohio State, which even back then in the in the early '80s was a you know behemoth compared to UCF, which was just off to the side of the road, basically. And Lou Sabin was our football coach, and I was the SID. <laughs> and I had to be with the football team, and the basketball team went to uh, a, a basketball game at Tallahassee against Florida State. And the publication in Tallahassee misspelled. Our coach's name in the program, and the coach blamed me for it. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I had anything to do with it in Tallahassee, but he was just one of those guys that was used to having things his way and come from Ohio State. I said, "Look, coach, you know, you don't have to worry about this anymore." And I turned in my resignation. And little, you know, then in the first week of December, the baseball coach there at the time, Jay Bergman, unbeknownst to me, went to the baseball meetings, which were in. Nashville in 1983 and he took my resume with him because I'd done games and it was very close. We're still close to this day. Uh, took my resume around to some, you know, different people he knew in minor league baseball. And I was, I left the university on a Monday and went to work as a, a career out of sports entirely and thought, well, this is going to be my next career path. And we'll start my first day on Monday. And I had to get a call from Frank Capiello, who's the general manager of the Lynchburg Mets I don't know, Lynchburg from Mars, to be honest with you. Was, hey, we've got your resume. Uh it was passed along to us from you know some friends of ours in Nashville. Would you submit a tape? We have an opening for uh, play-by-play. And I had done the I had done the uh, you know the UCF games on radio and we had to go through a friend of mine, Chris Jarmis, who were still lifelong friends of the state. He was an ex-plus UCF and a great hustler, just a great salesman. He convinced the double A Orlando Twins in 81 and 82 with Tom Kelly as their manager and names like Gary Gaetti and Frank Viola and Tim Tuffle and others on those teams to allow us to broadcast on our college radio station selected home games and the playoffs. So in 81 and 82, we did those games. I had some of those tapes. So I submitted the tape uh, on a Monday. By Thursday, I was offered the job in Lynchburg and Saturday my car was packed every fit in my car and I was on the road north to Lynchburg Virginia for the for the 1984 season which was just a, a wonderful experience uh, a team that was, I, was, I was there the year after Lenny Dykstra and Doc Gooden who captured the Carolina League by storm you know Dwight was struck out 300 in less than 200 innings he right. was the talk of minor league baseball made the jump to the Mets the following year Uh, Dykstra had stolen over 100 bases, scored over 100 runs, and part of, at that time, one of the best minor league organizations in terms of prospects. And ours wasn't bad either. We had Rick Aguilera, we had Floyd Yeomans, we had Barry Lyons, Stan Jefferson, uh, Rick Aguilera team, Dave Magadan was on that team, and we won the Carolina League as well. So that was my, that's So I got that job and just kind of set sail on being to make my way through minor league baseball.
1: Wow. So you got to see some serious names uh, even all the way down to your first job in single A.
2: Yeah, I did. I mean, I remember Cecil Fielder playing in the league. Uh, Mike Greenwell was playing for the Red Sox at the time. Wow. Uh, I joke with now because, uh, I mean, Jeff would know this if he watches uh, our games on television in uh, in the Bay Area on NBC Sports California. Bip Roberts is one of our analysts. And back then... Bip was Leon. He was Leon Roberts with <laughs> uh-huh. Pirates, a ball team. And then the following year, he was a rule five guy and got selected by the, uh, he got selected you know, by the San Diego Padres and began his big league career. I always joke with him about that. There are, the great thing about baseball is the family atmosphere and the, and the, the, re- the relationships that you, that you begin and the relationships that continue even to this day, decades later. And I, I tell this to my son Dominic, who does what I do as well in the minor leagues, right now with Corpus Christi. And you know, we're all nine fingers crossed that there will be baseball at some point this year. But developing those relationships with players and coaches and managers and scouts that you will take with you for the rest of your life is is really a very special part of of what I get to do.
0: Who uh, is there? Has there been one player that you've had to go up and talk to that you were a little nervous about? Uh,
2: I mean, you you have a job to do, and uh, you just what you try to do is not let it, uh, you know, let it affect you. It's almost like in you know in, in the world of sales. I mean, you're going to get nos, and that's okay. It's not you. It's just it's for whatever reason. Uh, there have been some guys. Uh, you know, one guy that was uh, a little bit difficult to do an interview with was Orlando Versed, but he was a good guy, and I you know I got this you know talked to him over the years. As he as he moved around with different clubs, originally he was with the Pirates when I was with the Astros. Barry Bonds naturally was a challenge,
0: uh, <laughs> but the
2: first time I asked him to do something, he said yes, and uh, you know he still gave you those kind of curt, you know I'm smarter than you kind of answers. But he, you know he 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 did the interview. Then as he at the very end of his career, when I was with the A's and he was winding down, you know with the Giants, you know I I had I had asked you know hey you're doctor now with the media, and Scott Boris was around to us and said, "Hey, do you mind tomorrow? can we do a pregame show? And he he politely declined, but that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, when he was with um, when he was with the Mariners, he said yes, and he did the interview, but he never looked me in the face, never looked me in the eye. <laughs> and then I had him for three years in Texas where he did absolutely everything we ever asked of him, every pre show every postgame show. And even, which is much more important, just having basic conversation around the batting cage, or around the locker, or even on the charter flights about him or the team or the game, which absolutely lives and breathes. You can say what you want about Alex. I mean, he definitely loves him, even for all the all the things that have surrounded him in his career. And I think one last one was Nobar Garcia Parra. When Nomar was with the Red Sox, I had asked to do a pregame show with him, and he was sitting in his locker at tiny, at the tiny clubhouse, home clubhouse at Fenway, which has since been renovated to make it a little bit larger, but it's still relatively cramped quarters. He had a towel over his head. He was looking straight into his locker. And he did the interview, but it was a one of those kind of, I'm never going to, I'm doing this interview in a way that I know you'll never ask me again. <laughs> and then at the end of his career, he with the A's, and I explained to him. I said, "You know, when you were with Boston, you didn't, you weren't very friendly." And he goes, "Well, you know, in Boston, it's a different animal. i trying to hit on you You have to understand that that guys that broadcast the games, team announcers, are different. You know, we are not looking to chase some story or Pulitzer Prize." you know, we're, we're doing, you know, we're doing interviews, you know, the old, the old joke about the guy sitting at the bar and, uh, a lady of the evening comes up to him and goes, um, you know, anything I could do for you. And he says, yeah, I can be my pregame show guess for tomorrow. So that's <laughs> you know, kind of, the, that's kind of the way it was. Then, then Nomar became friendly. We had, you know, animated conversations. And then after that, when he went on to become a broadcaster for the, uh, for the Dodgers, all of a sudden I get this big hug from behind and it's, it's Nomar. So it just, the way you can develop those relationships and understand that it takes a period of time is, uh, is uh, the joy of, of doing what I do.
1: I actually worked in the minor leagues for 11 years. So I, ha- I had the opportunity to enjoy uh, that, just that atmosphere, which is uh, so much fun if you're a baseball freak like myself. I met some characters, some interesting folks over the years. Uh, out of curiosity, do any characters, any players, come to mind when you think of characters or funny, uh, quirky guys?
2: Well, sure. I mean, I mean, every every team has uh, you know some semblance of that. I know the '85 So team that I work for in the Texas League, they had the wild PA announcer that was screaming between pitches. They had the green weenie. Rally flag and the red stop flags and PA announcers making all these proclamations. Who scores more runs with two outs than anybody in baseball? And the fans go, "The Diablos do." So
0: those
2: were, <laughs> those were fun times. And you know, on those teams, there was a guy on the on the team in '85. His name was Jesus Alfaro, and he must have been 105 years old even then. Uh, just a fun-loving uh, player from Mexico on a team. Won 90-something games and had four players with over 100 RBIs. Had Glenn Braggs on that team, who went on to play quite a bit in the big leagues with Cincinnati and others. Uh, a player at the time who I thought was a star in the big leagues and didn't turn out that way. He was and he had a great Robodeau. He was a left-handed hitting first baseman from, from the Boston area. Uh, had Joey Meyer, the big home kid, who was a DH with the ball a mile. It was just—it was just a lot of fun to see see that group of of players. But you know, Jesus—he was just—he was funny because he didn't speak the language very well. That he was, you know, he was playing the game basically for the love of the game because he wasn't going to get to the big leagues. He's the kind of guy you wish was going to get one at bat in the big leagues, and it just—you uh, know—it just never really happened for him uh, in in Tucson working with. Uh, you know, with the Astros organization at the time. That was my first uh f- my first full-time opportunity to spend uh, time with with Brent Strong who was our pitching coach. Now Brent was with the Dodgers in San Antonio when I was uh in Texas when I was with Eso in in eighty five through eighty seven. You know, I met Joe Madden then when he was in Midland, the same guy that was running the Midland team in 85 is the same guy that's making millions now back with the Angels. And that relationship is you know, gone on for decades. Mark McLemore played for him back in 1985, and you know we that 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 relationship continues. But uh, you know, Brand was a guy that always he always hard on us, always very emotional, always told you you know what he was thinking, and very passionate about what he does. And certainly in you know today's game, you know with what he was able to you know with the Astro with their pitching staff and the things that he and a guy that's seventy years of age that is very much on the forefront of, of the quote unquote modern game with analytics and and spin rates and pitching high in the zone and breaking the zone and things like, that. he's always been a guy that was uh, very forthcoming, a lot of great information I could use on the air and even better stuff I could, use. but that was a that was a relationship <laughs> that was fun. But in terms of like the the top character of guys, I mean there was there was a guy named Jeff Juden big mm-hmm. six foot eight right-hander yeah. who got drafted worn by the Astros. And he actually was in jail the day that he was drafted. Uh, <laughs> came out after the fact and went on, to, you know, got to the big leagues a little bit. He got a, you know, a couple of three years in the big leagues, had great talents, couldn't put it all together, but he's kind of a big lug and, you know, kind of one of those guys that needed to be knocked down a couple of notches. And once he was, he'd be more of a, of a, of a regular guy, but just, you know, watching, you know the personalities of the players sometimes change over the years. is uh, is is uh, an experience and an exercise that that's uh, fun to see take place. And I do this all the time. And you know, I've I've been fortunate with the A's. I've done games with Johnny Doskow, who works now. He has been at Sacramento for years. Uh, two years ago, Jeff Hem, who at the time was our uh, AAA announcer in in then Nashville before we moved back to Vegas. Uh, he's done games for us. And then last year he did a game with Zach Bay who filled in for us. And, you know, he's spent all those years with, with Stockton. And now he's, you know, fortunately he's made a big move up to, to Reno, AAA. And I told those guys, I was, it was the same way for me when I was in the minor leagues, I said, how can not Billy Joe Roboto, you know, get to the big leagues and be a star. And then once I started working the big leagues, I go, why do they call it Billy Joe Roboto? That guy can't play. <laughs> like, Seeing the difference. And the level of the game and how hard the game is at at ultimately the very highest level uh, is something you just you can't duplicate. You have to see it to experience it. And I had some some fun uh, discussions slash arguments with uh, Johnny D from Sacramento when he when he did thirty four games with us two thousand and twelve about what he was about to embark upon and what he was about to see, which is nothing at all compared to the last. At that time, I think seven or eight, maybe even 10 years at AAA, which was very good baseball, but it just never was the big leagues.
0: Uh, You would be surprised at the amount of Billy Joe Robido talk we have had on this show over the past couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, (laughs)
1: that's a great reference right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, that name has come up uh, several times. Uh, I've got a purely selfish question now. I am a huge Ricky Henderson fan. Uh, I I grew up going to the Coliseum where it was uh, Ricky and, and Tony Armas and Dwayne Murphy in the outfield. Everybody's got Ricky Henderson stories. A lot of them have been debunked. But uh, what is your best Ricky Henderson story that has happened, you know, that you've actually seen or or been witness to?
2: (laughs) Ricky. (laughs) Uh, He's one of the nicest people on the planet. Doctor in the Hall of Fame. You know, they've named the field after him. They had the all time, the 50 year team, which he was voted number one by the fans. So I've had multiple opportunities to spend time with him. Doing long form interviews, just chatting with him, and this is you know I this, this you know if baseball and I'm knocking going on wood when I say this if baseball starts again in 2020 it'll be my 15th year with the A's and I think the first 12 and a half or 13 Ricky didn't know my name so <laughs> but we always talked we, you know and he would he would do it if I needed a you know ball sign for a charity or bat sign for a charity. Never an issue, 100%. how to do it. And just you listen to him talk and you hear the stories that he tells, and you, you can't help but laugh. And he's in a very astute baseball man. He believes he can play in the big leagues tomorrow. He really does. <laughs> he, he's in tremendous shape. And, you know, he, he, at a time when I, Jeff, you, because you're a Live Life fan. You get it. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily do have an understanding of all time how great a player Ricky was and how he revolutionized the leadoff position, the things that he could do with home runs and the stolen bases and just creating havoc and getting on base and scoring runs and just loving the game so much, playing into his mid forties. And the only reason he stopped was because they wouldn't bring him back, not because he didn't want to play, because he nobody would take him back. And I think that's the, the, the pure joy that Ricky has for the game uh, is great. And I, they did a ceremony. I was an MC for a ceremony for him uh, at Oakland Tech where they were dedicating a field or retiring, retiring his, his high school number. And I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think his high school number was 16 or he wanted number nine or something. And his best friend at the time who's still his best friend now. He's the one that got the number that he wanted. And the, the way he got it was they had to flip a coin and pick heads or tails. And, and uh, his friend got the pick. And he, he, he didn't tell until decades later. He said, Ricky, I had a two-headed coin. On That's what I flipped, <laughs> oh, man. So I was going to win. And it, it just caught Ricky by complete surprise. just But in the most jovial, you know, fun way you can imagine. Those kind of stories are absolutely priceless.
1: I'm going to ask you the proud dad thing. Um, okay. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with Dominic.
2: Well, um, you know, when, when Dominic's our first child. Uh, he was born in in uh, what would have been the last day of the regular season of 1994, which was the year of the strike. Uh, I, I would have been at, well, I would have been in Cincinnati, but our our we, the team would have been playing in Cincinnati. I I would have been home for the birth of my son. <laughs> so. Um, He's named after Dominic DiMaggio. Oh, nice. okay. My dad's name is Joe. I'm Vince. And my dad's favorite player in New York was Joe. So wow. I knew whether I married my lovely wife Veronica of 29 years or whoever I married, my first son's name was going to be Dominic because it was important for me to have that trilogy of those brothers, that lineage in, you know in my family. Now, typically, my wife is Hispanic and I'm I'm Italian, and you normally name your you know your your son after you know the my my father's name or my father's name. But I I would you know as I was becoming an adult and thinking about what you know those next stages of going to be with finding somebody settling down, getting married, and starting a family. That uh, our son's first name was going to be Dominic. So uh, in my office. My wife, years ago, found a uh, picture that she purchased of the three brothers hugging each other all in uniform, which hangs in, hangs in, my, in my office. But Dominic Young, he wanted to be a garbage man. He wanted, to be, uh, he wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, he wanted to be a PGA golfer. And uh, as, then as high school went on, he played one year of high school baseball. And he played four years of golf. But starting in his, I think his junior year, junior, senior year, he began broadcasting the high school games here in Arizona, in, uh, here in uh, Gilbert, Arizona at Basha High School. Uh, did it? I mean, I'm an old guy. You guys are young. You're more understanding of this stuff. He was able to create a hotspot on the computer, find there, there was a, a podcast website that allowed him to do the games in real time. And so he did the Basha games, which included doing games against Cody Bellinger's high school, which is Hamilton, which is the main school in our, in our neck of the woods, a time where Cody had one home run in, the, in high school and seeing like the stories I was telling you before about developing those relationships, come full circle, the A's Dodgers in spring training this year, which was what has become now our third annual father, son broadcast. And it was against the Dodgers and Cody came over from, from Glendale you know to play. He was in a lineup for for Dave Roberts and Dominic went downstairs for the game, and spent time with Cody, like you know, like it was high school, and th- those kind of things, you know, bring a smile to your face. So he he started in high school, uh, went to ASU here, uh, got to do two years of the Cape Cape League, uh, in fourteen and fifteen, he was a freshman in college and the only freshman that had ever done Cape Cod baseball at the time. And developed relationships there. Saw a lot of great players and you know, coaches and whatnot. And then uh, did uh, rookie ball with the Orm Owls, which was the Angels in 16, 17, and 18. He was with the Rangers in uh, in uh, Kinston, North Carolina, the Downeys Wood Ducks then last year. And then hopefully this year was a double A with, with Corpus Christi. But as a kid, Especially with the Rangers, he had to go on the field and take ground balls before the game, before the players even took the field. So he was taking ground balls with Jerry Naren's son and with Pudge Rodriguez's son and with the Palmero sons. And by last year with the, with the Rangers it was 03, and he was then old. He was only nine, but he was enough to be allowed to shag in the outfield if he stayed on the warning track so he wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> and I remember it was our last home game of 2003. And he he made his hats in the outfield on a ball off batting practice, and I remember one of the players telling me, you know, Francisco Cordero, who's our one of our closers, he's the one that told me that Dominic made a catch, great play, blah 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 blah. So Dominic dominated him for a long time, and I give him a lot of credit. He's 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 pretty determined to do this as Dominic Catronio, uh, Nance's son. Although it doesn't hurt, and it, it does it does help, but he. Time and the uh, we've talked quite a bit. I do listen to a lot of his games. I offer advice, but you know, it's advice coming from his dad. Us Anybody <laughs> yeah. who gets advice from their parents are going to take it one way, and then getting advice, which may be the exact same words outside source, might be taken a different way and, and maybe taken more to heart. So, sure. I get that. Uh, he, he's, he's been exposed to a lot of folks in the game, uh, and they, I mean, I'm, I'm very Happy to say as a dad, he, is, he has a great reputation as a hard worker, outgoing, and you know, he's, he's, he's making his way in what is a very, very subjective and very difficult business to advance.
0: Can you uh, g- give us an unpopular opinion that you hold on uniforms? So uh, we've had in the past, this one played really well on this show, is that uh, players should, should be forced to wear and show sanitary socks. Something along that line. Interesting.
2: I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's not. It's not something that really drives me nuts. But what what has driven me nuts, and it's recent. What's the word? The, the rules in footwear has become a little bit more lax. And I only say that because I work for a team that, for decades, was the only team that got to wear white shoes. Yep. And, it, and that is part of the A's history. That is who the A's are. That's part of the colorful Charlie Finley days and everything that that makes the athletics and going to games with the Coliseum unique to every other every other team in baseball and now I see guys on the Mariners or guys on the pirates or guys on the Reds wearing white shoes like so no no that's not that's not for this that's for one team only and I'm I understand I got plug lack you know I'm all for that and have fun and raise money for charities and things of that nature and Show some personality, but for me specifically, uniform-wise, I think the A should be allowed to wear the white shoes still.
0: That was—I uh, I had a bit of a rant when that rule came across a while ago. A, a bit, just a bit. <laughs> okay, well, Jeff, then, you understand my point? Oh, absolutely. I—I was—I've I, been watching games from last year to kind of hold me over and. I forget the Padres pitcher, Paddock, is it? I want to say Trevor, but I don't remember his first name. Chris Paddock. Chris Paddock. And uh, he has, he's showing sanitary, white sanitary socks, but he's also wearing white shoes, and it just looks weird. Because uh, also, you know, the A's are the only team that wear colored sanitary socks to kind of offset those white shoes. But when you've right. got white sanitaries and then white shoes, it it's not a good look either. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm not in favor either of the sanitaries. You know, e- either we either wear the you know the sanitary sock and the stirrup, which are separate, as opposed to that one piece of material that that ties it all together. Wait, that looks you, real You'll too.
0: you'll like a rule that we have when we get to wax packs heroes. Then uh, you'll fit in nicely. You'll here. fit in. You'll yeah. fit in nice there. All right, so now uh, now it's the time uh, on the show where uh, we're going to open a pack of uh, baseball cards. It is our wax packs heroes. Gotta pull the wax This is where we are going to open a pack of baseball cards from the junk wax era of the late '80s. Today, it is my favorite set. It is the 1987 Tops. Now, Vince, when we started this segment, we were using a a, a, a current Beckett's baseball card monthly, but uh, we ended up with four or five cents total every time so uh, we elected to uh, to use an older one we're using a edition from may of 1992 that way it gives uh, some of these cards some value Uh, we do have a couple of extra rules though Uh, one if you are wearing real stirrups and we can see it in the picture you get an extra cent Uh, if you're wearing the dreaded two and ones which you brought up earlier you get a minus one cent uh, if you are sporting a mustache, as a good deal of these players were at that point, you get an extra cent. And uh, if you went on to be elected into the Hall of Fame, you get an extra five cents on top of the Beckett's value. So uh, are you ready for this 1987 Tops pack? I'll do the best I can. All right. And if you like, I can save the gum for you. Uh <laughs> Nobody has taken us up on that offer as of yet, but uh, well, let's keep that streak alive. It, it is you. There is a full stick here, completely intact, which is a rarity. But uh, doesn't Mingo. make it
2: any more appetizing.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, let's pull these cards out. Oh well, this is uh, being a play-by-play announcer in the Bay Area. This is a very interesting start for you. This point uh, he was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. He is still with the San Francisco Giants. Mike Kruko. I love Mike.
2: So, what am I I supposed to guess the value of the card?
0: Nope. Uh, I'll all uh, if you've got a story, a memory, just anything about uh, anything about the player.
2: Well, I mean, I don't I barely rem- I mean, I know Mike pitched in the big leagues for a long time and I was with the Cubs and the Giants and uh, had some great moments. My, you know, my memories of course are you know, with Mike with what he does now, we which- there's really nobody better. He's, he is phenomenal doing what he does as a analyst for the, for the Giants on television. He's a wonderful guy, very good to talk to, unfortunate what he's dealing with, with a, with a muscular condition that he has that makes it difficult for him to, to get around and almost impossible to travel.
0: He, uh, <laughs> They actually called a, a PlayStation uh, MLB the show game the other day. I was watching them. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was enthusiastic for that as well. Um, unfortunately, that card is not worth anything in Beckett, but he is sporting some real stirrups, so you are on the board with, uh, with one cent there for that. Next, we've got, uh, I'm just going to give you this, this clue, Mr., at this point, Mr. Uh, Nancy Lopez. Oh, Ray Knight! There you go, Ray Knight, with the uh, with the New York Mets at this point. Ray,
2: isn't Ray Knight the one that scores? He scores the winning run, right? With the ball goes through Buckler's, Buckner's legs. It was Mookie. Mookie hits with the, the ball. ball. Gets through yep. Buckner. Here comes Knight to score, and the Mets win. I don't know Ray. I mean, I've, I've crossed paths with him. I think back more in the in the Cincinnati days than you know since he's gone on when he was doing stuff for the Nationals. I don't have a whole lot for you on on Ray Knight.
0: Yeah, we were we were just talking about the 86, uh, 86 Mets and some of the characters on that team of which he was one just before uh, before we started here today. Uh, That is uh, unfortunately not worth anything. I'm oh, no, I can see he is wearing real stirrups. So you are uh, you're at least scoring with the uh, with the footwear. (laughs) Uh, Next, we've got this guy. I remember this name vaguely. He's a pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, Fred Tolliver.
2: Uh, yeah, I remember the name. Uh, he, he had some time in the big leagues. I mean, he had a few years in the, in the big leagues. But that's about all I can give you on Fred Tolliver.
0: Yeah, the back of his card is littered with minor league stops. Uh, not surprisingly, that card is not worth anything. Uh, and it's just a, a bust shot. So I can't see if he's wearing stirrups and there is no, uh, there is no mustache. Uh, here's, uh, I'll give you a hint here on this next guy. His nickname was The Ball oh the bull oh Greg Luzinski. uh nope we're this is an 87 so this is uh I think Chicago Cubs oh Leon Durham there you go yep there Leon go. Durham
2: he, he's a, he's a little bit like Bill Buckner where he had the you know the bad, the ball go through him when he was with the uh When yep. he the Padres or we playing the Padres against
0: the Cubs in 84 thats is that that is one hundred percent correct. We I, again just talking about that on uh, on a show like three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, that uh, this is one of my favorite cards of Leon. He is uh, definitely wearing real uh, real stirrups, and he has got that goatee, which definitely counts. He's also got those science teacher sun, uh, glasses on that take up about half of his face, which I'm <laughs> contemplating making that worth a cent sometime in the near future. But uh, yep. Uh, Leon Durham. So that's two cents there. So your total is now four cents. And uh the next card I remember listening to this, listening to Vin Scully say his name, Greg Brock with the Los Angeles yeah. Dodgers.
2: He was one of the great minor league stories because when I was in the minor leagues, you know, he's in a, he was in Albuquerque with Mike Marshall. I think he had 43 home runs one year for them at AAA. This was you know, back then when the Dodgers were churning out rookies of the year and churning out all these, you know, big time prospects. And especially a guy you know, with some power, you know, this guy was going to be a cornerstone for them for years, you know, late 80s into the early 90s. didn't really turn out that way. But I certainly remember you know, I remember the stories about Brock at AAA with what he did, uh, then what were called the Albuquerque Dukes and the longtime Dodger affiliate. Yes.
0: Yeah, so according to the back of the card, Greg once earned himself the free use of a car for a year by recording a hole-in-one on the golf course. So. Wow. It doesn't,
2: it doesn't sound like it could help the baseball career. No.
0: <laughs> nope. And unfortunately, that card is not going to get you anything. It's not worth anything in Beckett and no, uh, no facial hair or stirrups visible. Uh, next guy is – I have not heard of uh, this guy. He's a lefty for the St. Louis Cardinals, Pat Perry.
2: I got nothing on that one. I'm sorry. Sorry, no. Pat.
0: No. and it, uh, <laughs> On the back of it, you know, when you look on the back of the card, uh, if the print is really small, that means they've got a lot of stats. And that is the case here, but they are all minor league stats for Pat Perry. Um, but he uh, he enjoys playing ping pong in his spare time, if that's any consolation. But that uh, that card is not worth anything there for Mr. Perry. Uh, next, we've got uh, the uh, pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, Joe Sambito. Oh,
2: I know Joe. I know Joe very well. Joe's an Astro for for a number of years before I got there. He was part of the great uh, '80s teams as a left-handed reliever, and he eventually became an agent. He's uh, he's a he's a he's a, t- he's a player agent, has been for years. He was with a group out of Houston, the Hendricks brothers. I don't know if you remember Randy and Alan Hendricks from you know '80s and '90s. These guys had a lot of the the mega stars guys. They had Clemens at one time. They had Greg Swindell and a bunch of other players uh, I think they might have Doug Draybeck at the time too that uh, big big agency that eventually in the early 90s I think they uh, they sold and disbanded but I would see Joe quite a bit uh, at the astrodome over the years uh, on the field either doing things uh, representing the team as a player or certainly doing this thing uh, as a player agent however Joe's got great hair too he's got a lot of hair <laughs> which For a guy like me of course is uh, something i don't have a lot
0: of but i always root for all right next uh we got chicago white sock tim hewlett
2: i know the, i know the name
0: can't tell you how i was like he's a middle infielder i think for them uh let's see yep he's listed as a second and third baseman yeah
2: there
1: you go h-u-l-e-t-t
0: or? h-u-l-e-t-t uh yeah. attended the university of south florida Oh wow. Did not know that. Yeah. So that's uh he will get you a, a scent there. He does have uh does have real stirrups on.
2: I was gonna I was gonna guess the stirrups when you said White Sock.
0: Uh this guy we've had quite a bit of his uh cards. Uh pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Ted Power.
2: Hard throwing right hander, reliever.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. That, uh, he's got a good head of hair there too. Uh, yeah. but, uh, unfortunately he certainly does. Uh, unfortunately though, I can't see if he is wearing uh, real stirrups. I'm, I'm assuming most people in 87 were, but I got to see it. And, uh, no mustache for Ted
2: well, playing, playing for the playing for the reds. I would think he might ha- he might have
0: next. We have got uh, another giant, another left-hander, Terry Mulholland.
1: Oh best, man! Best
2: pickoff move in baseball.
1: Hey, I I have gone over that same exact thing, Vince. I never saw anybody with a move like Terry Mulholland.
2: Now, Terry Mulholland, I saw at Double A in Shreveport, Louisiana, with the Shreveport Captains when he was a starter mm-hmm. then, and I was with El Paso, and then when he's with the you know the Phoenix Club, the Phoenix Giants or the Phoenix Fire Firebirds, and then of course I saw him quite a bit in the big leagues when I was with Houston and he was with the Giants. So, uh, yeah. Just an unbelievable, unbe- un- you just can't, you can't recognize yeah. the move at all. It was, it was the best one I've ever seen. Almost impossible to run on.
0: Uh, according to Topps, Terry also works as a gas station attendant during the offseason. <laughs> I think he probably outgrew that. Uh, he probably did. But now good news for you here is this is his rookie card. So well, you're not going to be able to retire on it. It is worth ten cents, and he oh, is okay. he is wearing uh he is wearing stirrups as well. So that ends up being an eleven cent card for you to bring your total up to sixteen cents.
2: That that bumped up the average. I like that.
0: Yeah, that did. Now here is a guy. This is uh, Mark will Enjoy this. And uh, speaking of Amari, who we talked to earlier. He's worked with uh, with this gentleman who Mark is. Uh, Works right next to actually in in Seattle, Julio Cruz.
2: Julio Cruz, great, uh, great. Was he a second baseman for them? Yep, yep. He's
1: definitely the Mariners. Real speedy.
2: Again, doing what I do and developing relationships. uh, One of my favorite people, you can relate to this, was Dave Niehaus, who uh, Mm -hmm. just had a conversation with him, and every time that we we joke about about dave and just the way that he does the game we don't julio cruz when i when i would do an impersonation of dave julio cruz's name always comes up because you sit there and you go here's the pitch to juniors Steve. come see julio cruz at Cooler at the tech mall julio always seemed to make Making ours there on our air maybe three or four times a year. <laughs> so he lives on in the Bay Area. You'll be happy to know, Mark. Yeah,
0: that's good news. Uh, unfortunately, that card is not worth anything. He's wearing those great socks uniforms, though, with the uh, with the stripes, but uh, nothing there. Now, I hate to tell you here, you got a, a dreaded manager card because these are never worth anything. But uh, this is uh, from the uh, Montreal Expos. And it's got his proper name. If you if you ask me who Bob Rogers was, I would have yeah. no idea. But if you ask me who Buck Rogers was, I would know sure. exactly who you're talking about.
2: Yep, good man. Uh, saw him with the Expos. Uh, that been, was he a part of an unfortunate bus accident. I don't know he's with the Angels. I think Mark landed
0: on the bus as well. I do remember that. I, do, I don't remember. I don't remember all the details. But I now I, I probably had not thought of that since it happened. But yeah, that does seem yeah. to ring a bell. Buck was a, he was a, he was a catcher. Wasn't he when he played? Uh, I can tell you here in one minute with the angels, he was a catcher, correct. And apparently yeah. appeared yeah. in left field at some point during 1967. There you go. And was a second uh, uh, runner up in as a rookie in 1962 as the rookie of the year.
1: Found a little info on the uh, bus crash. Uh, Buck Rogers damaged a knee and rib cage and a badly broken elbow multiple places. Wow. Sounds painful.
2: Could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah. Uh,
0: Unfortunately, as manager cards are, that is not worth anything, and he is not wearing a mustache. Uh, This next guy, though, definitely is sporting a mustache. He is a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, Frank Wills.
2: Don't know a whole lot about Mr. Wills, I'm sorry to say.
0: No, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't remember, remember either. No, yeah. maybe they made that one up.
1: Somebody's cousin. Maybe, yep. Maybe they slipped that in the pack. Yeah. Uh,
0: now this guy, uh, Vince, you've already mentioned uh, this next guy's name uh, earlier. And uh, the, the memory I have of this guy is he was on the 19, uh, uh, 1990 Cincinnati Reds. Beat the A's in the World Series, and at some point he uh, swung and missed on a ball and broke the bat over his back in his follow through. Accidentally, Mr. Glenn Braggs.
2: Yep, Glenn was married to uh, married to one of the singers from N. Vogue, I think, from Houston. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember Glenn; he, he had a body like a don. Yeah, and back in 1985, when he was on the El Paso team. Back when idiots like me were allowed to kind of occasionally get on the field, I, I told him I would throw BP for them one day. I was only at that time. I was only 25, so I will not kill myself. But I got I threw BP, and Glenn and I got behind the L screen. But Braggs was up there one true story, and he ricocheted with my shoulder. to be alive. <laughs> I mean, I got, but it was a glancing blow, but not glancing to me. <laughs> and that was like the end of me ever being on the field again. Thanks Jeez. to Glenn
0: Bratt. Yeah, he was just huge. And yep, he is, he is married to Cindy Heron, an original member of En Vogue. There you, there go. you go. And uh, also here it is, my the, the reference that I remembered. It was actually against Stu and it was in the World Series. He swung so hard on a pitch from Dave Stewart that he broke his back on the follow through. Yeah, pretty strong fellow. So that is a rookie card, which is good news. That's five cents uh, from Beckett's, and uh, he does have a wispy mustache. So that's a six-cent card right there. I like it. All right. This guy uh, was – I remember this guy up the middle for the uh, for the Reds for quite a while. Kurt Stilwell. Yeah.
2: Solid defender, shortstop, good player. I think he was a former number one pick, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Does not tell me he is a second generation though. I didn't know that his father Ron was an infielder with the Washington Senators for a couple of seasons. Huh. I remember Kurt Stillwell as a Kansas City Royal. Yep, I remember him. I remember him in Kansas City as well. Yeah, first
2: round by the Reds in '83, out of high school in Thousand Oaks, California.
0: Nice. So that uh, that is a rookie card. Another one. Uh, Another five-center, and he has got some nice, big, uh, real stirrups on there. So that's another six-cent card to bring you up to 28 cents. I'm getting there. You're getting there. you got two cards left here. Uh, Again, I'm afraid you're not going to be able to retire on these, but the first one is for the Kansas City Royals' Greg Pryor, an infielder. Yeah,
2: he was a first baseman, as as I recall. I don't remember a whole lot other than that.
0: Yeah, it looks like he probably played uh, played kind of wherever he could. And uh, his father, George, uh, apparently played for the uh, Baltimore Colts. Huh. But okay,
2: uh, he got to the big leagues as a, as an infield middle infielder. I don't remember that.
0: <laughs> so uh, not worth anything except for he does have a nice bushy mustache there. <laughs> so, uh, that I told you most of these guys do. So that'll bring your total up one cent to 29 cents and very apropos. Your final card, um, is a member of the Oakland A's. I mentioned him earlier. Um, one of my favorite guys, I know he's been around the game as a coach, uh, still, uh, outfielder for the A's Dwayne Murphy. Dwayne's the best.
2: I think Dwayne, as I recall, nobody won more gold gloves in the American League, at any position, than Murph. I think he had six in the '80s. Uh, I think he led. I think he leads the American League in that in that decade for most, you know, most gold gloves or most consecutive gold gloves. He was a, you know, a tremendous outfielder, and you know, he, in fact, my son got to spend some time with Murph because he was a roving hitting instructor with the Rangers, and uh, they actually played some golf together, Murph had both of his knees replaced in, you know, last few years and got himself in a, you know, much better way physically. And one of the all-time good guys, certainly on, the, you know, uh, one of the greatest underappreciated outfields in all of baseball. You mean and Murph, Tony Armas with the A's. Uh, hard to beat those guys when they were together for all those
0: years. Yeah, he's also a graduate of Arizona State. That card, though, unfortunately, not worth anything. He does have a bit of a mustache there, so that's good for one cent, and that will bring your total up to thirty cents for your pack. So I, I, I don't know how to break this to you, but that uh, that you're not at the bottom of our list. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, and I'm sure that they will lord it over you. The uh, Mariners PA announcer Tom Hutler came in with a thirty-four cent pack. Okay, and uh, Mari ended up with forty-five cents. Wow. Uh for his uh for his total, he's in 6th place. Our leader is just from uh just from last week when or no, 2 weeks ago when uh, Brad Baluchin, who just uh he's from the Bay Area here just released a a book called The Wax Pack book where he right. uh, opened up a pack of 86 tops and went and talked to everybody. He brought his own pack of 86 tops and ended up with a dollar and 8 cents. Very uh, to top our board, but uh there you go. Uh, 30 cents. Uh, I can stick this in the mail uh, if you like, or we donate all these cards to uh, Cards for Kids if, uh, if you don't, don't want go your ahead. 30 cents. I do. <laughs> uh, well, Vince, thank you so much for joining us. We've really had a great time talking to you and uh, getting to hear some of your stories and uh, getting to talk about some baseball cards.
2: Well, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, welcome to do it anytime. Appreciate talking to you guys. Uh, be safe wherever you are, Mark and Jeff, and let's hope we all can get back together again sometime soon.
0: Hopefully, we can exactly. we can see you in person sometime in the very near future at an actual live baseball game. Uh, Fingers are crossed. Do you want to do you want to hand out a, a Twitter handle or or anywhere that people can uh, find you? Or uh... yeah,
2: I'm, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm at Vince Baseball, so that's where they can find any of my. Uh, Comments or rants or whatever happens to be popping <laughs> in my head that day.
0: I'll be sure to, I'll throw that in the show notes as well. But uh, Vince, thank you very much. And uh, we, uh, we've really enjoyed it. All right. So let's wrap up the show. We would first of all like to thank, uh, obviously, again, our our guest Vince Contronio for joining us here. Hopefully we'll get to hear him call on some games uh, sometime in the near future. But we also want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate it. Uh, we love hearing from you uh, on social media. You can reach us both on Twitter or Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. Mark, they can also send us an email, right?
1: We can. Two Strike Noise. Again, spell it out. TWO Strike Noise at gmail.com.
0: And we will be happy to, to correspond with you in any of those uh, way, shapes, fa- forms. Uh, we also do accept carrier pigeons if you yeah. want to do it that way.
1: And uh, Telepathy. If you, if you only,
0: only Mark, I do not accept that.
1: Yeah. Anybody out there who believes in telekinesis, I want you to raise my hand. Thank you.
0: Uh, Sorry. Uh, I thought it was funny. Okay. Your dad, you know, I appreciate dad humor. Oh
1: gosh. Yes. You
0: love it. uh we'd like to remind you that uh, if you were so inclined we'd sure appreciate it if you uh, wanted to rate us so wherever you happen to be listening to the show tell a friend uh force your parents to listen to us i don't care just anything it really helps out we really do appreciate it uh but we uh, we really do thank everybody for tuning in every week and uh, speaking of that mark what do you say we do this one more time at least next week
1: Well, let me see here with all the stuff on my schedule here, uh, staying at home. uh, Yeah, it looks like I can do
0: it. (laughs) Great. Well, then uh, I will be back here. You will be back here. Hopefully our listeners will be too for another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank
1: you. God bless you. Have a great day.